Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to The Pursuit. I'm your host, Ben Spangle. Great to be with you. If you're joining us for the first time today, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you. We'd love to have you subscribe afterwards and stick around. Uh, today, today's episode, I've, you know, I, I look forward to a lot of interviews. I was telling Tom before this that as I've done many of these now, this is one that I had a very nervous excitement for in a positive way, just because of how much I respect the work that Tom's done. And you are going to love this. I mean, we are going to have some incredible information for you on really helping you change your life today. So a bit of background on Tom, for those of you that don't know him, uh, Tom Corley, he's the founder of richhabits.net, author of Rich Habits, a bunch of other best-selling and award-winning books. And, and I got to share with everybody listening, one of my personal favorites that everybody needs to own a copy of. I've talked about it before, but I'll talk about it again, is Change Your Habits, Change Your Life. And I mean, Tom's work is all over the world, guys, over 27 different countries. I, need, I think it's known to almost 100 million people have been exposed to in some way, shape or form your work. And I know you a little bit different in COVID times, but normally sp speak around the world, right? Traveling around the world speaking and a uh, bit of background on Tom too. I mean, he's, you know, he's the author of this stuff, but he's, he's a CPA, he's a CFP, certified financial planner, runs a financial service firm uh, based out of New Jersey and big time contributor too, to a lot of big publications, Business Insider, CNBC, and, and a whole bunch more. So Tom, thank you so much for your time. Really great to have you this morning. Hey, Ben, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited about this, just like you. Yeah, me too. Hey, why don't we start with, I, I know I kind of give you a, a little quick bio there, but tell, tell people a little, a little bit about you. So I'm, you know, my, my um, career, I guess, if you want to call it that is, is CPA, financial planner. I've been doing that for quite a while. I have a master's degree in tax. So uh, I kind of, it kind of helps me a lot with the financial planning. In fact, it, it helped me a lot past the CFP exam. Mm. That was a hard exam, but the, you know, the tax knowledge helps. Uh, so uh, I kind of enjoy that that part of it, that knowing the taxes and and uh, you know beating the IRS through knowledge, not through cheating. Mm. Uh, I like that idea, you know, just being smarter than them. And uh, and I you know I guess the CPA world that I live in is you know like financial planners. You you most of the people that you do business with are middle class or upper middle class and wealthy, mm -hmm. right? You don't get much of an opportunity to deal with poor people, but uh, I don't have to because I grew up poor. So I know everything about it. Mm. I know what it's like not to have money and, uh, you know, to almost be homeless. We had that happen a few times. So I, I come from a really strange background. Like my dad was, uh, had a business that was uh, a distributor of tools in the Northeast. He, he actually controlled most of the Northeast at one time. Okay. And uh, his his partner who was age 39, he died of a heart attack. Now at the time they were, their business was generating probably a couple million dollars a year in, in net profit. So they, we were very wealthy. We lived in Toad Hill okay. uh, on Staten Island, New York, which is, you know, one of the uh, wealthier places to live in this uh, area. Uh, and then my dad sold the business after his partner died and he had to take it back two years later, which was a mistake. Uh, it turned out to be a big mistake. And he, the business that he got back was completely different. It put him in a $4 million, $5 million hole uh, that he wasn't aware of that the, the, the owners had created over a two year period. Uh, so it kind of bankrupted him, although he didn't file for bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they were all the old school people don't file for bankruptcy. They, yeah. they fight their way through it. Uh, and uh, anyway, we struggled with poverty just to stay in our house. 
you know, we were the poorest people on Toad Hill. It's the truth. You know, just to stay in our house, uh, you know, was so difficult. And uh, so I kind of grew up with that, uh, you know, being wealthy and being poor. Hmm. And uh, I, um, you know, always thought being wealthy is a lot better, yeah. uh, at least uh, from my memory. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, fast forward to like uh, when I took over the the helm here at my CPA firm, uh, I think in 2003, well, within a couple of months, I started doing research because of a client who, a business client who was struggling, go, ended up going bankrupt. And uh, they were so emotional about, you know, their situation that, you know, and they asked me a question, which I honestly, none of us ha really had the answer to, Not, nobody that I knew of mm. had the answer to, why are some people rich and why are some people poor? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you ask that question to, to yourself or to anybody you know who's we're in the financial planning world or entrepreneurs, you know, they'll, you'll have, you'll have answers, Ben, mm -hmm. that will, will take you from North to South, East to West. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, everybody has a different opinion about why you're rich and why you're poor. I decided I don't, you know, I'm a CPA. I'm going to take an analytical approach to this. So I came up with a list of, I called it my 20 question list. It was a group. It was really 20 uh, categories that uh, of, of really 144 questions that I asked 233 wealthy people and 128 poor people. And I wanted to understand, I really wanted to answer two questions. One was, um, why are some people rich and some people poor? And what do rich people and poor people do from the minute that they put their feet on the floor in the morning to the minute that they put their head on the pillow at night? I wanted to capture the whole day, their activities, what they did, what they thought, uh, their emotions. So I had crafted these questions really to, to understand everything about their lives that I could possibly understand. And I had to do it in a way that they didn't know they were participating in a study because if you, the reality is if, if you're rich and I say, Hey, you're a rich person. I want to interview you about how you got rich. All of your answers are going to be skewed. Hmm. They're going to be, your ego is going to take over. Hmm. And if you're a poor person and I want to interview you because you're poor, you know, you're going to answer emotionally, uh, mm -hmm. not truthfully. Sure. Uh, so I wanted to get a true, honest assessment of what causes wealth and what causes poverty. And uh, to my surprise, after I gathered all of this data and analyzed it, which took about a year, I realized that most of the data points were habits. Mm. I didn't know what habits were, to be honest with you. I never thought about a habit, uh, really. I never thought about it like in an analytical way. And so I looked at it and I said, you know, these are things that they're doing repetitively. They're, they're doing it every day, mm -hmm. rich people and the poor people. And the difference between the rich and the poor in terms of their habits was like the Grand Canyon, you know, with poor people on one side and rich people on the other side. Mm. So I said, man, I think I stumbled onto something here uh, accidentally, really was accidentally. Uh, and uh, it turned out that, you know, my rich habits, poor habits uh, was uh, something that I realized could transform lives. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, it's important to know what to do that gets you kind of halfway down the field. It's equally important to know what not to do, because right. even if you have all these great habits, Ben, if you have these bad habits, but you're unaware of, of them because habits are unconscious behaviors, thinking and, and emotions yeah. and decision-making. Uh, if you're un unaware of the bad habits that you have, you're going to be scratching your head and saying, you know, I'm doing all of these good things and I'm still poor. 
Mm. So this this rich habits crap doesn't work. So I wanted to understand both sides of the coin mm. uh, and let everybody see, you know, 360 degrees that, you know, this is. And so this is kind of, you know, what what got me that 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 study got me started on this. And then I, I ran some uh, learning sessions. And uh, the first year I had quite a few people that had uh, uh, really positive experiences in their lives and increased in income and increasing their income there. They lost weight. They, you know, all sorts of, they got new jobs. They, all sorts of really good things started to happen. And so they, they peppered me about writing a book about my rich habits and my poor habits. That's what I was calling it at the time. And I still do. Yeah. Uh, and so I said, you know, I don't know how to write a book. I'm, I'm a CPA. I, I, but one thing I learned is that CPA exam is so friggin' hard. Uh, I said to myself, if I can pass the CPA exam, I can write a damn book. Yeah. It can't be harder than passing the CPA exam. So uh, I read my, my rule of thumb whenever I don't know something is to read three books on the topic. Mm. So I read three books about how to write a book. Hmm. And when I was done, I said, yeah, I can do this. This is a lot easier than uh, taking the CPA exam. And so I wrote Rich Habits and it took me a couple of iterations, but I finally got uh, it down to, I wanted to, the, the, the book to, be something people would read and people aren't going to read the millionaire next door, even though a lot of people did it's, you know, 350 pages, 400 pages of it's, uh, it's data. Yeah. And they're not going to, they're not going to read it. Not the, not the people I want who I want to read the book, which are poor people, people in lower middle class uh, and people in the middle class who want to get into the wealthy class. You know, they just don't have the, the desire of them. So I, I, I anyway, I, I wrote this uh, book, the rich habits, the first book, in a story format. And, and it, uh, you know, the, it took a while for that book to, to really become successful because I didn't know how to promote a book. Mm. And so it took me a couple of years to figure out the marketing and the promotion behind uh, being a successful author. And um, so once I, once I, uh, I learned about, you know, through the trial and error, what to do and what not to do in terms of promotion, I, I started doing things right. And I started, uh, having some success and, and Yahoo finance was the first bit of success that I had. They reached out to me. They liked an article that I had written and, uh, they wanted to interview me on my rich habits. And, uh, that interview, uh, went viral. Hmm. It was a video interview and it went viral. And then Dave Ramsey, who's a radio host in the U S he picked it up. He invited me on his show. Then CBS wanted to interview me. Then Kiplinger's and Money Magazine and Success Magazine. And it went wow. on and on and wow. on. Uh, you know, this journey of mine has taken me all around the world. I've been to Australia four times. I've been to Vietnam, Hanoi, Ho Chi Minh. Uh, been to Europe. Uh, been to Canada a few times. All over the United States speaking. So it's been really quite a journey for just your average, regular, run-of-the-mill CPA. Wow. That's, that's an incredible story. That's, that's so neat to hear. And I, I, I think one of the things that makes your work unique is because you have that CPA, that technical analytical background, like you said earlier too, is that the, the research that you've done incredibly detailed, right? Incredibly detailed. And I think also too, you know, even what you said as well is just, here's what to do. Here's what wealthy people do. Here's what rich people do. And, and here's what poor people do. So it's, it, as you mentioned, it's not enough to just know what to do, but what not to do as well. Um, 
you know, you had mentioned earlier, and I think this goes back, you're, you're probably coming up. I think this was around 2004, I think mid 2000s that you wrote the book. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. No, 2010 is when the, I wrote the book 2004 to, to like 2008 or nine is when I was doing all my research. That was the research. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So we're coming up, not quite, but coming up on close to, you know, 20 years of research here. Um, yeah. And you had mentioned before too, you hadn't really yourself considered too much habits. I mean, you know, habit is a big word if you're into personal development, right? And a lot of, of course, our listeners are, but can you talk to us about, cause I know you have a lot of, lot of knowledge on this as well. Maybe even just habits as a whole, kind of neurologically, what, what is a habit? Why do we have them? That kind of stuff. Oh man, you, you, you just, that's like my, the sweet spot for me. Yeah. You know, I, I talk about most of the time with the media, they want to know 10,000 feet in the air, right? Right. But I've this this research of mine has taken me down a rabbit hole, uh, which is uh, brain science, yeah. you know, uh, neuroscience, neuroplasticity and and also genetics. Mm. Uh, I've had to become a little bit of an expert on genetics uh, because genes factor into uh, a lot of our habits. Mm. Uh, so, you know, you can create a habit, for example, uh, and then have a child and that habit could alter your genes, mm -hmm. toggles on a gene. And then that gene can be passed along to your children. So your habits affect your, your subsequent generations. Isn't that and crazy? It's, it's, it's freaking amazing. So uh, what, uh, what I've learned about habits is um, the, when, when a group of neurons, it's, it's never one neuron talking to another neuron. It's the neurons, they, one neuron will be doing 50 different things as well as another neuron. But okay. These neurons, when they start talking to each other, uh, on a regular basis, it starts to form a synapse. A synapse is uh, when the, the uh, neurons sort of, because of the consistency of their communication, they kind of physically, inside your brain, move closer together, mm. right? So the more that these, these neurons talk to each other, uh, the closer they get, at some point, the basal ganglia, which is a golf ball-sized group of neurons in the middle of the limbic system, uh, it'll it'll actually grow a dendrite uh, all the way up into where these the synapses to monitor the synapse to to determine if it's a habit. Now, why does the brain do that? Because when a brain identifies a synapse, it, it wants to transform it into a habit uh, if it can, if it's consistent enough, because habits reduce the amount of fuel that the brain uses, the glucose or the ketones. Those are the two fuel sources, primarily glucose though. Right. So so the brain is like, hey man, we might, we might be onto something here. We might have a habit in formation here and we like that. That's efficient. It uh, reduces the amount of, of fuel we, you know, we need to, to function. So the basal ganglia goes up there with its dendrite and it starts monitoring this over a couple of weeks. And at some point, the dendrite communicates to the prefrontal cortex because it's connected everywhere in the brain. And it says, we've got a habit. And the, uh, and the uh, prefrontal cortex gives uh, the, the basal ganglia permission to stamp it a habit. So that dendrite becomes permanently impaled into that uh, synapse, hmm. never goes away. Imagine you're building a road. Mm -hmm. Right. You build this road, this highway uh, between two bridges. Well, uh, just because the people stop driving 
on the highway or stop using the bridges doesn't mean that the highway's not still not there. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that that dentrite from that basal ganglia is still is marking that as a habit, no matter what, until the day you die. This is why you, you hear people say, yeah, it's like riding a bike. Mm-hmm. You know, once you form that right. that habit and bike riding is this gets even headier. So whenever your habit involves physical or motor activity, the cerebellum gets involved. Hmm. So now the cerebellum is sending all sorts of dentrites into the synapse. Uh, and it's uh, so you got this infrastructure because of this physical habit, this motor habit that just never goes away. And, and when you have the cerebellum engaged in habit formation, yeah. that's powerful. Uh, hmm. That's why you can uh, stop riding a bike at 15 and pick it up at 60 because the habit never goes away. That's wow. the strongest habits are the, are the motor habits are the strongest ones. I, I, I'll give you an example. I was a top tennis player in the Northeast. I was in the top 10 and 18 and unders when okay. I was younger. And um, I stopped playing tennis, I guess, when I had to, I, I had to pay my way through college because uh, the scholarship I had fell through because I didn't have money to drive my car to, to the tennis practices and stuff. So anyway, uh, my, my scholarship fell through and any, I ended up um, becoming a janitor 20 hours a week to get through college. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow. and, and so, you know, this was just such a, you know, a difficult time period for me. And, uh, and, you know, and I, and I saw, I'm, I'm my, my point is that I was, I stopped playing tennis at age about 20. Mm-hmm. And then my wife and I, we got relocated when I was 40 to Rhode Island mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't know anybody. So I told my wife who was miserable because she's a Jersey shore girl. Yeah. And I said, look, let's pay, let's play tennis. You know, there's a big tennis court right around the corner, indoor tennis court. So we started playing tennis. And wouldn't you know it, Ben, it took me about a month, but I got my groove back and I was playing some great tennis. Hmm. Uh, and I kept doing it un- until just a few years ago mm-hmm. uh, because my back was hurting me too much. But I, I became uh, b- actually a better tennis player than I was when I was 18. When I was 50 years old, I was I was one of the t- top tennis players in, in my area. Hmm. And I was a better tennis player because those habits, those motor habits never go away. Hmm. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty cool. The science behind habits is just, just a, it's just a rabbit hole that I couldn't get myself out of. It was so interesting. Yeah. So, so really the habits that, I mean, at the end of the day, brain wants to conserve fuel, wants to conserve energy starts to notice, hey, this this looks like the, this could be the formation of a habit. Let's send some dendrites up. They're kind of like little t- tree branches, aren't they a little bit in a way? Yeah, they, they are. They're the receptors. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you have the axons which send information. Okay. Uh, and then you have the dendrites which receive the information. So these neurons, you, if you can visualize, these axons also have branches. Right. So the axons have these branches and they're sending information out and the neurons that are receiving the information, have all these dendrites receiving the information. The information they're receiving is um, neurotransmitters, they're chemicals, they're like dopamine, yeah. serotonin, th- things like that. Mm, amazing. Um, I think you and I could probably talk for days on this stuff because we, we, <laughs> we love this stuff and it's and you're an expert on it. I mean, that's, that's the incredible part is, so brain's conserving fuel, it wants to do that. And then the thing about that, and I guess this goes into good habits, bad habits, right? Or rich habits, poor habits, or healthy or unhealthy, whatever it might be. The brain, the brain doesn't care if this is good or bad for you, does it? It's just, here, here's no. a habit. No, no, the brain could care less. Uh, the brain is a selfish uh, muscle. 
Mm. Uh, it, it only cares about itself. Now, it does get signals from the rest of the body that say, hey, you're killing me. Mm. Uh, so, so you know, you have uh, these messages being sent to the brain and the brain prefrontal cortex picks it up and says, oh, wait a minute, time out. This habit uh, of, of drinking a six pack a day is destroying my liver. My liver keeps sending out a signal. Please stop. Uh, I can't handle it. And so the prefrontal cortex then takes control because it's the CEO of the brain. Mm. And it says uh, to the rest of the brain, we've got to stop this habit because it's killing us. Mm. Uh, and so, um, you know, at some point, uh, you, you know, you listen and because uh, you're getting the message from the prefrontal cortex, it won't stop telling you to stop doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, eventually you break the habit. Sometimes you need help like Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. us, you know, uh, Weight Watchers. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing about habits is forming new habits and breaking old habits is much easier when you put yourself in an environment of people who have the habits you want and don't mm-hmm. have the bad habits that you mm-hmm. have. Mm. They will infect you with their good habits. And the beautiful thing about rich habits, at least the top, say, 30 rich habits, is that they're um, they're so powerful uh, that they can actually overcome ordinary habits. Mm. In other words, exercise is a keystone habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you exercise and you start losing weight, uh, the emotions that get created by the people who are telling you, you look great, uh, feed into that habit. And then you say, well, you know what? I want to run more or I want to exercise more. So I'm going to cut back on what I'm eating. Mm. So your overeating habits starts to die away. Uh, you overeating poverty habits starts to die away. And then you say, well, you know what? I, I smoke and it's interfering with my ability to run more miles and faster. So uh, now you get rid of that smoking habit or you cut it back or you do whatever. And so now you've got these, these poor habits just kind of being uh, driven away automatically just by, by adopting one rich habit, one, one keystone rich habit like exercise. And did you just say with that, that the keystone habit that because one of the benefits is it starts to give you some of those kind of pleasure chemicals or those positive emotions. That's why the brain yeah. starts to do that. Yeah, that, that's, you know, one of the first things the brain will do uh, when you're doing something good that's beneficial to the body yeah. is it um, it will notify you through the release of uh, neurochemicals, hmm. neurotransmitters. Now, the people out there might be saying, well, what about drugs? Well, the problem is drugs are the artificial or fake way of fooling the brain into releasing these neurotransmitters. They're they're not the natural way. Right. Exercise, eating healthy, yeah. uh, associating with uh, upbeat, positive people. They re- those things, doing uh, positive, good things, uh, release dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin they, naturally. Right. Uh, dr- drugs release them artificially, and it screws up the whole. You know that's why it's their drugs are such a problem. They they right. interfere with your brain processes. Huh. Huh. Fascinating stuff. Um, everybody, you're going to go back and listen to the last 10 minutes or so over and over. Cause this, this is the greater your understanding, the greater your implementation often, right? Where, you know, you, you understand more, you realize, okay, here's what's happening. Here's how I can work with this. Um, 
Tom, I want to start jumping into some some of the the differences, rich habits, poor habits. I, I know there's hundreds. I mean, you got, you know, years of research on this stuff. So of course we can't dive into all of it. Make sure you get involved in Tom's work. I'm going to recommend some at the end here so you can have a deeper dive. But when we think about this stuff, you, we talk about behaviors and actions. We think about thinking process, thought process, we activities, things that people do, they don't do. Tell us about some of the the major ones that you've found that are, are a big difference makers for people and maybe some that people never even thought of. Yeah. So um, one, the one that would pop that, well, the two that popped up that uh, one I, I said makes sense is the, the reading to learn rich habit. That was uh 88% of the wealthy people in my study read to learn, not for entertainment. Mm-hmm. They read to learn 30 minutes or more a day. In many cases, especially the virtuosos in my study, and we'll get into the different paths to wealth, but okay. the virtuosos in my study and the entrepreneurs in my study, yeah, they read the most. Mm. They were voracious readers. They, I mean, I'm not, you're, 30 minutes, yeah, they, you try three hours a day, four wow. hours a day. Really? Uh, they were reading to learn. And, um, and so, so, you know, that, that knowledge that they were gaining, uh, when applied to their businesses, just helped them see, you know, create, created opportunities for them. And I, I learned this, uh, interestingly in the financial planning business, I decided to, to take, uh, to read a couple of books written by Ed Schlott, who's a big IRA expert. And I read maybe four or five books that he had written and when I, and then I summarized those books and I really studied them and I became sort of an IRA expert mm. and I was able to help uh, my clients more because I saw opportunities because of my knowledge and I, I was able to get them into um, different types of IRAs, variable annuities, uh, you know, IRAs where they actually had uh, the company stock dumped into the IRA. Uh, and it was really interesting uh, learning. And then I made more money, uh, because I knew more and I, I saw more opportunities to, to apply my knowledge and make more money. Mm. So that helped tremendously in my financial planning business. So hats off to the self-made millionaires in my study who taught me that rich habit. That one mm. got my kids through college. I spent 400,000, $405,000 in college for my kids. And I had only 80,000 saved. So, uh, that, that, uh, the, the knowledge I gained from the financial planning, learning everything about financial planning, thanks to Ed Schlott and some other authors, uh, helped me make the, the, a lot of money so I could get my kids through college wow. without, with very little debt, very little debt. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's, I mean, the reading to learn is a big one. The exercise, this one kind of caught me by surprise because I just, you know, when I went, when we went from wealth to poverty growing up, there was like a mental shift that took place in our household and, and wealthy people became evil people. Mm. So I grew up thinking of wealthy people in a very negative context that they were, they were selfish, greedy, Mm -hmm. uh, obese because they ate so much and they drank so much. They smoked cigars. They had all of these horrible indulgences. Mm. That's what I was taught growing up that wealthy people were bad. And, uh, and so when I saw this, uh, exercise hat, rich habit. It was like something like 80% of the wealthy people in my study were exercising 30 minutes or more, three to four days a week. Hmm. And I said, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would, why would a wealthy person exercise? And then I find out, well, I'm, my mom and my dad taught me some limiting beliefs growing up 
mm. that just aren't accurate. Mostly my mom. I, I can't fault my dad for that. My it's mostly my mom. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, I just uh, was shocked by by that one. Uh, one important one is building what I call power relationships or rich relationships yeah. or relationships with influencers. Right. I can't emphasize this enough. I mean, um, the and I don't want to. I want to also touch on mentors because it's kind of related. Uh, you need to, if you're poor, you need to, you need to eliminate the people you're associating with who are poor and find people who are rich. Mm. Now it's hard to do when you got most of your family members are poor. Mm-hmm. I get that. And it's not easy, but if you're going to escape poverty, it's going to be because you've got the right people around you who are teaching you the habits, the thinking, the mindset, the, the decision-making behind becoming rich. Yeah. Uh, they don't infect you with all of that stuff, their habits, which, which is all kind of habits. Uh, they'll infect you with their good habits. Uh, and that's why it's so important to build relationships with success-minded people. These are optimists, mm-hmm. uh, po- people with a positive mental outlook, people who uh, are learners, uh, people who don't waste a lot of their time, and uh, they're, they're, they're go-getters in life. So you want those people in your inner circle and you want to kick the other people out of your inner circle or distance yourself from them Mm -hmm. as much as you can. Again, hard to do when you got family members. Trust me. I know this, you know, I would get phone calls from my father when I just went, you know, when I was starting to make some money Mm -hmm. and he would say, I need five or $6,000. Well, there goes all my savings. Mm. Right. Uh, so I get that. I'm not going to tell you that it's easy. It's it's not, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, if you keep at it, you'll build more and more wealth. And then whatever money you, you uh, accumulate will grow and, and you'll have more money, even though you're dishing off some to, to your family members, uh, your toxic family members or poor family members or whatever. So, uh, you know, those were probably three really important ones. The mentoring, mm. I want to mention this. Uh, this was particularly true with the big company climbers and the entrepreneurs in my study. Uh, when they found a success mentor in life, mm-hmm. that success mentor cut their path to wealth time in half and doubled their wealth. Wow. So finding a success mentor is the fast track to wealth. And it's also one of the ways you can build the most wealth. Why is our mentors uh, so important to success? Because mentors teach you what to do, what not to do without you having to fail and make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, and then one of the things I found is in my study is the successful entrepreneurs, uh, they, they, they made a habit of not making mistakes because they surrounded themselves with people who would help them prevent them from making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Advisors, mm-hmm. you know, people that were in the same industry that they were in that had done it already, that were 20 years older than them. They would have these people surrounding them and then they would tap them. I can't tell you how many times people call me now because I'm a mentor to thousands of people around the world. Sure. They call me, I, I, you know, and they, it may be only a 10 or 15 minute phone call, but uh, it's some, it's information they never heard from anybody in mm. their inner circle. Mm. And so they, you know, I guess I, I become a mentor to them or a surrogate uh, insider to them. Uh, and, and, you know, it's hard for me because there's so many people 
that that do call me and I can't be a mentor to everybody, but I do my best, you know, to help people. And uh, I, I feel like if you're very successful at what you do, you have an obligation to mentor people. Mm. You really, especially poor people. Mm. I think you have an obligation to society. That's your way of giving back. I have a friend of mine who was, who was the, in my book, Effortless Wealth, he's the rich neighbor in the book, mm-hmm. Tom Howie. He, you know, I can't tell you how much money uh, he, re- he retired with because he'll kill me, but it's a lot of money. <laughs> and he's three, two years young, younger than me. And what Tom's doing is teaching uh, poor kids in a community college. That's his way of giving back. He's mentoring them. Mm. And uh, I think that's, you know, a great thing because uh, they, they need it. Mm. You, know, they, you don't get it when you're poor and even lower middle class. You just don't get what you need in terms of information and and mentoring yeah. to help you succeed in life. That's why uh, poverty is a there's, – there's this generational cycle of poverty because they're sort of locked into a vacuum. Yeah. Uh, so, my, you know, my, my job and my mission in life, I believe, is to uh, open up the valve of that vacuum and let some of my information flow in so that these poor people have an escape patch. Hmm. Incredible. So, I mean, some of these really keystone habits, reading to learn, a big one, minimum 30 minutes a day. But for a lot of these these people, I mean, three to, you even said three to four hours a day, big time readers, uh, exercise. On the note of power relationships, relationships with influencers, I think what you talked about too is said, hey, if, if, if you're poor and you want to escape poverty, and I know you've mentioned this too, I, I want to mention this because this is worthwhile. I, I, I didn't grow up poor. I grew up very middle class, right? And uh, But hey, if, if you want to move out of middle class of just enough kind of mentality, this stuff applies too. Can, can you give us maybe a couple tactical things when you think about okay, you've got these, you want to create these power relationships. Say somebody's listening. I want that. I know I need to do that. Can you give us a couple of tactical ideas on implementation for that? Yeah. One of the things that popped up in my research, which I found very interesting is that a lot of the wealthy people were uh, on boards, board of directors of nonprofits. Hmm. Now, now uh, you could initially, my reaction was, well, that's great. They're giving back. Hmm. Oh no. They were on those boards for like 30 years. Hmm. They were on the boards when they were poor wow. or they were on the committees. Uh, so I said, wow, this is really, really a, a shortcut to developing or a, a, a way around uh, your, your situation, your circumstance, because poor people don't have, they don't have rich people around, surrounding them. So uh, yeah, you join in a, a local community-based nonprofit uh, and you'll find out on the, on those nonprofits that most of the people who are running the nonprofit who are on the board of directors, uh, they're the most successful people in town. Hmm. Right. So now you've just, you've just launched yourself into the one percenters. Hmm. You're now building relationship with these one percenters. Now these, these uh, individuals who are on the boards are also in many cases on the committees or other wealthy, successful people are on the committees that don't want to be part of the board or they, you know, they move back and forth. You know, Ben, like I've been on the board for four years. I'm going to just do this committee, that kind of thing. So, so that was an interesting, uh, that was an interesting way I thought of uh, a a go around uh, to, to meet these people. Another way was um, 
these mastermind groups, I'm, in fact, I'm just working on an article right now on this. Uh, if you can organize a mastermind group, it has to be in your exact industry, exactly what you're doing. If you're a science fiction writer, mm-hmm. you have the mastermind group has to be made up of science fiction writers. If mm-hmm. you're a Hyundai new car dealer, your mastermind group has to be made up of Hyundai new car dealers. Mm-hmm. If you're a CFP who specializes in variable annuities, mm-hmm. you have to have a mastermind group of C- CFPs who specialize in variable annuities. So it has to be very specific. Why? Because you'll learn uh, when you're all pulling the same cart, so to speak, mm-hmm. you're going to stumble across best practices, best ways of doing things. Uh, and, and then you're going to find you're able to uh, to leverage and co-op the relationships of the others in your mastermind group. The mm-hmm. other because everyone, even if you're poor, you, there, somebody knows somebody who's, who's successful and wealthy. Right. It might be one or two people even if you're poor. Uh, well, if you have five people in your mastermind group, now that's 10 wealthy people you might be able to tap into. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Influencers. Yeah. Uh, I call them power relationships. So so the, I like the idea of a mastermind group as long as you do it right. And doing it right is just what I said. Plus, you have to do it at least once a week, an hour a week. And everybody who's in the mastermind group has to be pulling everybody else's card. So uh, you have have a commitment for the week. Hey, can you help me with this goal or I'm pursuing this, you know, relate this relationship with this person. Can you help me get this, uh, make this happen? So, yeah. you know, you, you basically have a, maybe each person has a goal for the week. Yeah. Uh, that's realistic and can be achieved in a week that with the other help of the other members of the mastermind group. Yeah. That's so good. And do you think too, I, I think this, but do you think now, especially, you know, we're at the time of this recording still in the middle of COVID-19, but I think because of online forums, platforms, social networking, it's probably easier than ever to create and find a mastermind group. Would you agree? Oh, I, I, I think what this has done is, is it's accelerated what was going to happen 10 years from now. Hmm. It, 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 the pandemic, you know, there's, I'm trying to think of, of this quote, but it might be, might've been Napoleon Hill and, but I might have this wrong, but he said, in, in all, in every adversity is a seed of opportunity, mm-hmm. right? I'm probably saying the phrase wrong, but mm-hmm. in adversity in problems, there's always the seed of opportunity mm-hmm. in this pandemic, as horrific as it's been, the opportunity that's presenting itself to everyone is, Hey, we don't have to spend 10 hours a week traveling. Yes. Yeah. We can do all of this virtually. Yeah. I mean, think about it. We're, we're going to one day, maybe, you know, in our grandkids uh, lives, we'll be on Mars and we'll be on the moon. Mm. You're not going to be able to physically, to, you know, meet with those people on earth. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's, it's going to happen. It's, it's the, it's the future evolution of humanity mm. is going to be all virtual. Mm. Uh, now, of course, you're going to still have the, the physical meetings because they, they, they're the best. They are. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. But uh, this is, I, I mean, I did a speaking engagement in front of 1,300 people that I would have had to take two days out of, out of my schedule. And I got paid a good amount of money for it. I was 45 minutes. And then as soon as I was done, I was back to, doing my other businesses. Yeah. 
it took four. My son had he works for a big company, Moody's, and he travels a lot because he's a sale in the sales side of it. And he's and he told me, you know, Dad, I had this is a perfect example of how this is really changing my life. Hmm. He said I would have to travel to five different states in a week to meet with all these different customers. I did it in one day in a five hour period on Zoom. Incredible. And he said, I saved myself an entire week. So this is, I think this is transformative. You know, this is a blessing in disguise. I'm sorry for all the people that got sick and and died. That's terrible. Um, You know, I'm not demeaning that. Please don't take it that way. But yeah, this is uh, opening up uh, incredible uh, new world to all of us to make an enormous amount of money in a much more efficient and, and maybe not effective, but efficient manner. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. Couldn't, couldn't agree more on that. Um, let's switch gears. I'm very excited to hear about this. I haven't even heard you talk about, it, so I can't wait to, uh, let's talk about this idea of what is the right path to wealth. Right. Good. Yeah. I yeah. This is so, so get your seatbelts on because I'm telling you, this is, uh, I think this is more profound and revolutionary than my rich habits, poor habits. Okay. Uh, but there, I, in my research, I found that there are four paths to wealth. Okay. Uh, there's the saver investor path. There's the big company climber path. There's the virtuoso path. And then there's the entrepreneur, the dreamer entrepreneur path. Now the saver investor path is a path that's perfect for people who are, are just unwilling to let's put maybe not unwilling, but don't want to work more than 40 hours a week. Sure. They, they, they place a premium on, on their family and their friends, you know, spending time with family and friends. They don't want additional responsibilities in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they want, they're happy with eking out a living and doing what they do. Uh, and so the saver investors in my rich habit study, even though they were the poorest of the millionaires, mm-hmm. they had, I think their average uh, liquid net worth was about $3.3 million. Mm. Um, so, so th- what they did was from right out of the gate, when they started working is they saved 20% or more of their net income and they back ended their, their way into their standard of living mm. by living off of what's left. So they, they said, okay, I'm putting away 20%. So really my net pay is 80% of what it is. Mm. And I have to figure out how to pay my rent, my food, my insurance and everything. Hmm. Now it's hard to do that in the beginning. I know, but, uh, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't have to be te- 20%. It could be 10%. Uh, but the point is you, you, you forge this habit of saving consistently mm-hmm. and automating the savings process process, and then immediately investing your savings so that that can grow. Hmm. Uh, and what's interesting is after about 10 years of doing this, the wealth that you create, uh, through this process, it grows exponentially. You know, you might, you know, have invested say 50,000, but now it's worth 300,000. Mm-hmm. So you can, you, and some of that wealth can generate uh, a, a stream of income. Sure. Right. So now it helps you supplement your income. So now you can actually increase your savings rate from 10% to 20% to 30%. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like, it's like a snowball effect. It just keeps growing. So you can, because you're saving and you're growing your wealth and that's kicking off more income, you can save more. Mm-hmm. And so by the time in my study, it took 32 years for the self saver investor millionaires 
to uh, accumulate $3.3 million. Uh, and that was when I was interviewing them. So, you know, that's been how many years ago? They're probably in their late seventies now. Mm. They probably have $5 million, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. The next uh, group was the, so uh, the point I want to make there is there's a personality profile that is specific and unique to saver investors. I write about it on my richhabits.net uh, and CNBC is working on an article right now. We're working on an article that's we're coming out with the, to right. share the personality traits associated with it, with the, all of these paths, but I'll touch on a few of them. Okay. The next one is the big company climber. This is uh, where you uh, are going to devote yourself to one company and your, I, your goal is to climb the ladder. Now, you, you know, obviously everybody wants to be the CEO, CFO, whatever. COO, yeah. Uh, but you don't have to get, you don't have to get to that level right. to benefit from being a big company climber. An example is I have a, quite a few of the uh, big company climbers in my study who never became the CEO, CFO, whatever, but they became, you know, like the tier underneath them. Sure. And they, because they reached a certain level, they were introduced to all these things that the other people in the company uh, weren't eligible for, and that's restricted stock units, yeah. uh, stock appreciation rights, uh, non-qualified stock options, stock grants, mm. all of these things. I, I, you know, and, and what they do is, is once they get to that level, uh, they'll have years where their stock compensation is six, $700,000 mm. and the base pay is maybe 175. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and in the, in the big company climber uh, category path, about 90% of their wealth was attributed to the stock compensation. Now it doesn't have to be just publicly. Yeah. It doesn't have to be publicly held stock. It could be, uh, you could be, you know, a a partner in in Price Waterhouse or a big law firm or a big medical practice, you know, it could be private uh, where, you know, everybody's partners doesn't have to be publicly held. So I just, but, but clearly the ones who made the most money were the ones that had access to the public uh, securities market, you know? Right. Uh, then and the, the and so the personality traits there are to be a big company climber you have to be able to tolerate politics. Mm. People there are people who are big company climbers right behind you who are trying to cut the back of your Achilles heel hmm. and and take you down as you're climbing the ladder. Hmm. So there's that you have to deal with. There's um, so you have to become an expert at at politics. You have to become an expert at building relationships. With not only those above you, that's obvious, but those who are at your level in different parts of the organization, because you never know, they might jump up and become higher level people. And they're going to remember what a great worker and and how hard you worked. Uh, You have to take on uh, responsibility that uh, the saver investors would never in a million years take on because uh, that responsibility that you're taking on, if you fail, you could find yourself out of a job. Mm. So there's risk associated with, do you have to have a high risk tolerance to be a big company climber? And the high risk tolerance also is embedded in the fact that a a competitor could come along and buy you out. And the next thing you know, you're on the unemployment line. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of risk. You have to have this, you really have to have high risk tolerance, be able to uh, water off a duck's back. Uh, People can throw knives at you and your Teflon doesn't bother you. Right. Um, you have to be really, really good at building relationships. That means you have to devote time to building those relationships, happy birthday calls, happy birthday cards, mm-hmm. life event calls, 
uh, hello calls. You have to do all of these things. And I talk, this is all information that's on my website. It's not yeah. mysterious in the ether out there. It's all on my yeah. website. Yeah. Uh, now, now let's move to the virtuosos. The virtuosos are individuals who uh, are the best among the best of what they do in their industry. Okay. Uh, easy examples are Tiger Woods, LeBron James, sure. uh, Elon Musk. Yeah. Right. This guy's, he's a, not only an entrepreneur, he's a virtuoso, which right. is another point. You can be multiple things. You can be a big company climber and a saver investor at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, so using Elon Musk, he's uh, a virtuoso because he self-educated himself. He knows more about uh, rocketry and, and rocket science than a lot of rocket scientists who right. got PhDs. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, you know, just because you, you you know you don't have the PhD doesn't mean you can't be a virtuoso. But more often than not, these there's skill-based virtuosos and there's knowledge-based virtuosos. The knowledge-based virtuosos typically are individuals who went to had some schooling. They went sure. to college, graduate school, PhDs, and things like that. Law school, medical school. Yeah. Uh, so they're they're virtuosos because of their uh, education, which means that uh, you have to devote an enormous amount of money and time. Mm-hmm. That's one of the the traits. Do you have uh, the personality trait to you know study for seven hours a day in, in order to become a virtuoso? Which is kind of what it takes if you're going to school. Uh, maybe it's not seven, maybe it's five, but you get the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and if you're uh, and do you have the money? You might come from poverty. You, it's going to be hard for a virtuoso to become a virtuoso if you're coming from poverty unless you can get loans. So that means now you have to take on debt. That means you have to have some risk tolerance. Mm. You have to be, you know, because there's good debt and there's bad debt. Yeah. Right. If you talk, if, if if you were Dave, Dave Ramsey, he would he would try and hit me over the head. That's right. say, there's no such thing as good debt. Yeah. Uh, but there is. Yeah. And, and, and there's the good debt is the debt that, uh, virtuosos create. Mm. Sometimes the big company climbers who have to go into debt to get a college degree to get into the big company. Sure. Uh, and uh, uh, the debt that uh, entrepreneurs, yeah. uh, they need to not only start but grow their business. They're, it's debt that where you're creating an asset versus debt yeah. that you're using for consumption or sp- spending. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, good debt is debt that, that you use to create an asset. A home is good debt. Education loans are good debt. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, and the fact of the matter is, if you don't have, if you come from poverty or low middle class, you're gonna have to go into debt if you're gonna if you want to be a virtuoso. Uh, maybe a big company climber, uh, but certainly an entrepreneur. Yeah. You're gonna have to go into debt, so so you're gonna have to get comfortable with that. Uh, so so the virtuosos are are unique in that they have this intense ability to focus for long periods of time uh, on one thing. They can practice a skill for four or five hours a day. They can practice subsets of that skill for a couple hours a day. Mm. They just become really single-mindedly focused on becoming great at that skill. The knowledge-based ones, they have to do a lot of studying and learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, uh, you know, you have to have that personality where you're going to, be able to sit for behind the desk for long periods of time or on a tennis court or on a basketball court. It, it sounds like if it, to a true virtuoso, this is a pretty, and I don't mean this in a negative connotation, but there's a very obsessive component to single mindedness. Yeah? yeah. 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 You might have to have a little OCD in you. Right. Right. And uh, certainly Elon Musk uh, has that. 
Mm. He's admitted it. Mm-hmm. He's got OCD. He's got, you know, this, you know, he can't, he can't turn it off mm-hmm. when he's locked into something. He'll go for 20 hours. He said he was, when he was creating the, the, the forerunner of what became PayPal. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the company was, but it got bought out by pay, PayPal. Yeah. Uh, he was work. He said he was working like 130 hours a week, wow. sleeping, eating, and then working. And he, I mean, so that you have to have that, uh, you know, certainly if you have, if you place a high value on spending time with your family and friends, you're not going to be able to do that. So it's yeah. not, it, it doesn't fit into there's requirements in this personality traits. It doesn't fit into the requirements right. bucket. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, so the last one is the dreamer entrepreneur yeah. and the dreamer entrepreneur. They're, they're very unique. Uh, in my study, they accumulated the most wealth, 7.4 million on average mm. in the shortest period of time, 12 years on mm. average. Mm. Uh, now what makes entrepreneurs so unique is they, they have an off the charts risk tolerance. They have an off the charts ability to handle stress. <laughs> uh, they have an in, a me, incredible ability to focus on problem solving. They're great at building relationships. So they're, they're very gregarious and outgoing, like the big company climbers are. Uh, Saver investors, virtuosos, they, 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 they're content with being behind the scenes. They don't need to be gregarious. But the entrepreneurs need to be gregarious. They have to be in order to build those relationships with influencers who are opening doors for them. Mm. Uh, and they have this incredible work ethic, like the big company climbers and to some extent the virtuosos. They have this uh, real hard work ethic. They're willing to put in the time. So that's a requirement. Are you willing, in the beginning stages of any growing any business, any entrepreneur uh, initiative, you're going to be devoting an enormous amount of time. Now, yeah. At a minimum, it's going to be 50 hours, but you can pro- promise yourself that it's going to be at least 60 to 70 hours a week. Yeah. It's just is. There's no yeah. way around it. I mean, I don't know how you could be successful or not as an entrepreneur. So they ha- you have to have that, uh, uh, accept that. And I think one of the other variables is you, if, you, if you're an entrepreneur, you better have a spouse. You better have the strongest marriage in the world mm. because, uh, if, you know, the stress uh, and the cash flow problems they experience in the first five years uh, could drive you to divorce court. So you mm-hmm. got to make sure you've got that's, you know, that thing ticked off that you have a, st- a very strong Marsh. relationship. Your spouse yeah. is on board. Yeah. So, you know, these are, these are, you know, and, and what's interesting is each path has their own specific rich habits. Mm-hmm. And so I've written about that on my, my, website. And uh, I think the article that CNBC is coming out with, we'll, we'll have that in there. So, uh, it's, you know, you have these rich habits that are unique to saver investors, save 20% or more, consistently invest, uh, associate with frugal friends, people that are, have this, you know, the same mindset that are frugal right. and they are savers, uh, the, you know, the entrepreneurs, you know, you, you, you know, they have their own rich habits, uh, you know, reading to learn, um, mm-hmm. practice, practice, practice. It also happens to be for the virtuosos mm-hmm. and, uh, they, you know, they, they get up early. That's another rich habit that I found mm. in the virtuosos, big company climbers, and the entrepreneurs. They have that common rich habit. Mm. So if you want to see all the personality traits, it's on my website, richhabits.net. Okay. Uh, it's somewhere there. It's You just have to look at the category. I have a category on my articles. Perfect. That's incredible. That is uh, phenomenal stuff. I'm so glad that you went through that. And, you know, again, hey, 
you're listening today, you, you can kind of get an idea. You probably already know, even if you're not where you want to be, you probably already have an idea of which of these do I fit into, right? Wh which more suits me. And, and, and I like how you talk about it. It's what's the right path to wealth. Well, there's not one way that's the right path. It's, it's going to suit you and figure out what does suit you. Um, which I just think is incredible. What two of my favorite questions in, in the entire world and they've become even more important in the last few weeks to me. What do I want? How do I want to live? What do I want? How do I want to live? Um, you know, Tom, I, I think what I love about your work so much is that really, especially guys, get involved in Tom's work, get on his website, richhabits.net, correct? That's right. Yeah, richhabits.net. Get, get some of his books. Again, I love Change Your Habits, Change Your Life. It's it's very tactual. So Rich Habits is more of a story, the book, correct? Right, Rich Habits yeah. is. Yeah, it's work. a narrative. Rich Kids is a narrative. Okay. Uh, effortless Wealth is a narrative. Good. Uh, change Your Habits, Change Your Life, and Rich Habits, Poor Habits, they're they're not narratives. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, see, I, I'm the entrepreneur dreamer. I'm that side of stuff. So I, I, I like narratives too, don't get me wrong, but I love tactical learning, growth. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, you, you know based on your personality, uh, that it's the right fit for you. Right. I went the big company climber route for 10 years mm. and I realized, oh my God, this is the opposite of right for me. Mm. I, I wasted 10 years of my life, Ben. Mm. You know, so it's it's really nice to figure this out when you're 18 years old, you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh man, uh, so good. Hey, I, this is just kind of a, uh, a selfish one. I know the answer to it, but I love it. And I, I think this is important information for people too. I think there's a mistaken belief, uh, just going back to a rich habit. I think there's a mistaken belief that, you know, cause you'll hear a story about Musk or something like that, Elon, right. To work in 20 hours a day. But I think as an average, there's a mistaken belief that you, you know, you've got to give up sleep all the time. Can you talk to us about the study of, of millionaires, wealthy people in sleep? Yeah. So, um, you, they slept, the, the, the self-made millionaires in my study, particularly the entrepreneurs and the big company climbers, uh, they slept an average of eight hours a night. Wow. They, you know, sleep is, sleep is the most important thing for, from, for health. It's mm -hmm. the most important thing because mm -hmm. what happens during sleep is uh, the, the, uh, your brain cells shrink, the lymphatic fluid flows into the brain, and then it cleans out the brain of all the toxins that you build up during the day. Mm. So if you're not getting enough sleep, uh, seven to eight hours is, is what you should be getting. If mm. you're not getting enough sleep, then those toxins build up in the brain. And then, you know, when you're 65 years old, you start to have Alzheimer's or cognitive mm. Mm. Uh, impairment. Uh, and so, so the sleep is probably the most important. It's more important than eating right and exercising. Wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, sleep is important. And, and the self-made millionaires in my study, they slept a lot mm -hmm. and, and it also helps, um, reset your emotional baseline. So if you can imagine if you're in the entrepreneurial world mm -hmm. and the big company climber path where you got all these jerks that are, you know, screwing up your day, mm -hmm. the stress that you have to tolerate, well, you need that sleep so that your, your emotional, yes. uh, baseline gets reset. And then you can start all over the next day. If, if you don't get enough sleep and your baseline is here when it should be down here, then you're, you're not, you know, it's going to throw you off for the, you know, because you're going to, you're going to go over the, I call it the rain barrel effect. You're going to, your rain barrel is going to overflow and you're going to start making bad decisions. Uh, you're going to start losing your control of your emotions, mm -hmm. things like that. So yeah, this is all, you know, sleep is, 
is fundamental. Now, um, as to work hours, uh, when I when I started running this firm and I started doing the research, you know, it was ten hours a day. It was te- it was tax season was off the charts. That was you know in in the beginning days here it was like fifteen hours a day, but now I have more people helping me. But um, so what I had to do was get up at four thirty in the morning because the only time I had was four thirty to seven in the morning to do my rich habits stuff, mm. and then se- I usually isolated seven to. 7.30 for exercise. I always was consistent. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to get to bed at nine o'clock every night. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal uh, for me. And and there are some people that can get by, by the way, uh, on six hours of sleep, five and a half hours of sleep. Yeah. The what makes, uh, what makes it, what makes sleep adequate is um, the number of, um, you know, you go every, night there's five sleep cycles right and they they four to five sleep cycles it averages about 90 minutes 90 minutes yeah okay now there are some people whose sleep cycle only lasts 50 minutes or 60 minutes Hmm. they only need you you need at least a minimum of four sleep cycles right so if you can get by on four sleeps site on on five hours a night because you're getting four sleep cycles and you're fine. Yeah. So I just want people to understand that. But if you're struggling uh, and you feel you're tired all the time, it's because you're not getting the four or five sleep cycles in every night, and you might have to add a half an hour of sleep. Yeah, uh, it's more important. It's more important than anything you do in your life. Uh, getting sleep. Incredible. More important than anything you do. And, and I want to give, because I was reviewing this before our time together today. When when Tom says, you know, m- most of the millionaires, I re- reread the study, 89%, 89% were getting this kind of sleep. So we're talking almost all of them, more important. So thank you for sharing that. Um, question for you. You know, one thing I love to ask our guests is uh, I'm a big reader. I know you're a big reader. And uh, tell me, I'd love to hear for you, maybe the top, you know, two or three books. I know there's so many. Yeah. But the, so the top two or three that have had the most profound impact on your life or ones you love, oh, you recommend to people. The one I paid my kids to read this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. I paid them when they were beginning high school. I paid them 25 bucks each to read the book because I knew I, that book, if, they, if you only had one book on an island, that would be the book you, you should have. Mm-hmm. But then if you're on an island, you don't need it. But yeah. my point is, <laughs> My point is that's the most important book yeah. I've ever read in my life. Yeah. Uh, how to win friends and influence people. Another one that I thought was really, uh, really fundamental to my understanding of success or the brain and success was Thomas Murphy wrote a book on the subconscious mind. Mm. I encourage everybody to read that book. That mm. book is a great book. Uh, Ogmandino's greatest salesman in the world. Mm. Uh, I got a kudos to uh, Ogmandino. I used his book as a template for rich habits. Nice. Uh, because uh, it, it's just such a well, such a well-written book and it, the story is so, so good. Yeah. Um, but I do, because I, I get this question, Ben, so often. I'm sure. I put on my website, uh, Rich Habits, uh, the my, my list of the top self-help books. Cool. It's not just self-help books. It's, it's books biographies 
Yeah. Well, the book I, I read about uh, Rockefeller, John mm. D. Rockefeller, uh, Carnegie, mm. Andrew Carnegie, uh, Hilton, the guy that started Hilton Hotels. And right. I, I have these are bi, bi, uh, biographical books of really successful people. One of the things you're going to find out is uh, it's interesting how often they screwed up mm. in their lives and still, despite their screw ups, became successful. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so I like reading books of, of successful people because they success uh, leaves clues and inside these books, you'll find all sorts of clues. And if you read enough of them, like I do, hmm. you're going to find out that they all have common habits. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of cool. The, that, that bi biographies. I love it. I love it. So really review on that. Everybody top, top view, how to win friends and influence people, power of your subconscious mind, greatest salesman in the world. And then biographies. I love that. Uh, thank you for that, Tom. So, Hey guys, get connected with Tom, go to richhabits.net. There's a bunch of great information on there. Tons of amazing information on there. He's got a package on there for, for dream setting, creating your ideal future. That's a, a free PDF to even walk you through it, but go get connected with Tom, get to some of his books. J just in closing, Tom, as we wrap up today, anything you want to leave our, our audience with just final thoughts on maybe moving from where they are to where they want to be. Yeah. So your, your mindset is uh, is critical to your success. So um, there's a lot of people who struggle uh, or they get frustrated. I know I was one of them uh, trying to be successful. It's very frustrating. Um, one of the things that shifts your mindset from negative to positive, and I use it all the time, is expressing gratitude. So um, it, now I'm not, I'm not going to get all spiritual here because I'm not into that crap, but uh, if you look back on yesterday and it's eight o'clock in the morning today, I want you to look back on yesterday and just pick out three things that went right. Mm. Three things that went right with your day and just say, I am so grateful that this happened. I'm so grateful that that happened. And I'm so grateful that that happened. Why is it so important? Because gratitude is the gateway to a positive mental outlook. Mm. And if you want to be successful, uh, you'll never, you will never ever be successful if you have a negative outlook on life. It's mm. impossible. Mm. You will fail and you'll stay failed. You have to have a positive mental outlook and it's critical. You know, look at these, some of these billionaires who thought that they could create like the guys that created Google. Mm. What gave them the right to think that they could create something mm. That would profoundly change the world. Well, they did. They were optimists. They believed in themselves. Mm -hmm. They had a positive mental outlook. Mm -hmm. it, positive mental outlook keeps you moving forward. Mm -hmm. Negative mental outlook keeps you stuck. Yeah. And you'll never be successful with a negative mental outlook. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you for that. Tom, thank you so much for your time, man. This is, this is wonderful. I'm excited to go back and listen to this many times uh, myself. And I know people listening are feeling the exact same way. And, and I, I know, you know, part of your mission, well, I didn't know that until this today, but learn from you. Part of your mission is just really, it's ultimately, how do you help the people that, whether they're poor, lower middle class, middle class, how do you help them create their ideal future? How do you create their ideal lives? And you're, I mean, the work that you're doing is massive. It's massive. And it's, it's, I love it. You made a difference in my life and, uh, and I know you're making a big difference in a lot of people's lives and, and I, it's awesome, man. Thank you for everything you're well, doing. Well, thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Uh, I know you love today. I know you love this episode. <clears throat> 
share this episode. Make sure you share this with at least one person, but you're probably want to share this with a whole bunch. If you run a team, anything like that, share it with your family. Let's get this out there. If you're new to the show, go and click subscribe, leave us a quick review. We want to get this information. We want to be bringing incredible guests like Tom, more and more people to more of the world so that we can all collectively go and make a bigger difference and really go and get the lives that each and every one of us wants to go and get. Thanks for being with us, everyone. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Ben.